The greatest thing in Michigan is to be a child of God. Uh, good to have everybody out tonight. Uh, I think it was very wise on the part of our elders to call off this morning due to the weather because there are many of us who live pretty good distance from here. And so it might not have been all that safe, and I appreciate uh, their concern for all of us. Uh, being a new year, by the way, for those of you who I have not personally said Happy New Year to, well, Happy New to all of you. Because it is a new year that we're into, and it's taking off really quick on us here. And I want to encourage you to do something this year if you've not already done so, and that is take advantage of the educational opportunities that the church here has for each and every one of us. Uh, we have a number of Bible classes that are listed in your bulletin, and I, there's many that you can choose from. You can choose your favorite topic, uh, your favorite teacher, or whatever. And just, you know, be part of one of our adult Bible classes this year uh, on Sunday morning and on Wednesday night if you're not already. Uh, I, I have to put a plug in for Tuesday. For those of you who aren't doing anything important on Tuesday but watching daytime television, we have a terrific class uh, from the Sunset Extension School uh, on Tuesday afternoon. And it's offered in the same courses, the same two, on Tuesday evening. And if one of those times is good for you and you've never even been to a single class yet, you have no idea what they are, please come one time. And I think you'll see how beneficial it is to all those who attend. And uh, you don't have to take it for credit. You don't have to do all the homework and write the papers and read the books. You can audit if you choose to, but at least come and see what they're about. Because the courses this time on the book of Acts is outstanding. And the one that's on the Old Testament, beginning with Joshua and going further through the Old Testament, is another great study, and I hope you at least come and see what they're about. But good to have you here. Talking about uh, education, let me get to my topic here. Tonight I want to remind us about some roads to trouble, and uh, they're easy to find, and you're going to see real quickly there's more than what I have uh, time to go over tonight with you. But thinking about education, I read one time about a boy who came home from school and it was report card day and he had to turn it in to his dad. And so he gave it to his dad and his dad said to him, you know, all right, uh, math, uh, satisfactory, uh, English, uh, satisfactory, social studies, satisfactory, history, satisfactory, conduct, unsatisfactory. He gave his son kind of an unusual look there and said, okay, explain that one to me. And he says, oh, I can explain that real easy. The boy said, conduct is my hardest subject. <laughs> and so it is with a lot of us, isn't it? That the, you know, One writer said that I was looking at preparing this lesson, he says, we're able to find a common denominator easy, easier than we can find common decency. We can find, or we can keep from splitting infinitives, but splitting up homes is becoming more and more frequent. When I read that, I thought, conduct really is 
our most difficult subject. Uh, it, it's not that we don't know right from wrong. It's just it's a hard time for us to, to always choose what is right. And, you know, we need to recognize right off the bat that it's difficult for everyone, everyone you know, everyone you meet, family, friends, fellow workers, neighbors, and even us at church, that conduct is our most difficult subject. You see, we, we find trouble in places that we don't even look for it, and it's there. Or we find difficulty and struggles. I mean, we're sometimes experts at it. We think that of all the things that we don't need tonight is to be reminded that there's three more ways to find trouble. I promise you that wasn't on the top of your list on what you wanted to hear tonight. But you're going to. Because we need to be reminded we need to rethink from time to time that if we're left to our own devices, we find a lot of trouble or we get into trouble. And so I want to assume with you that the things I'm talking about tonight, you already know, but you need the reminder. I need the reminder. And some who we know and love need the reminder of how easy it is for us to get into trouble. Matter of fact, you know, we try to avoid them and I think if we focus on the reason why we get into trouble, what roads we go down, it might help us to overcome some of them. I don't know whether you've been out driving around looking for a home sometime, but every once in a while, even in our town, you can turn on a street and real quickly you spot a sign that says it's a dead end. And if you've ever turned on that street two or three times, every time you go past it now, you say, that street leads to a dead end. In other words, there's no way to, to exit that street at the end. I mean, you're just stuck when you get to the end of it right there. And so there are some streets that are dead end, and there's no exit at all. So what I want to do is to get us to look at dead end streets, roads that we can go down, Choices that we can make that just literally lead us into a dead end right here. And I'm only going to have time to look at three of them, even though you could probably, I know, come up with more than three. But one of the easy ways to find trouble is this. Assume that you're the exception to the rule. Oh, you, you know the rule you know, the commandment that comes from God, we, we understand it, we've been taught it, we've read it for ourselves, we believe it, and, and yet we assume that somehow we're entitled to an exemption. You, you know, if somebody else broke that rule, we'd let them have it. But with us and our situation, <laughs> we should be exempted from obeying that particular rule. And one of the things, you remember David, who was the king of Israel, by the way, a good king, by the way, but he wandered into some dead-end streets every once in a while. On one time, the Bible teaches us so clearly, and you know it too, that he looked, he lusted, and he fell in love with a woman who was already married to a man who was a soldier in his army. And all of a sudden, David, who clearly knew the law, he knew right from wrong. 
He knew how what he should have responded, how he should have made his choices right here. But he somehow becoming king, well, just think for a moment if you was king. Kings ought to have some exceptions, shouldn't they? I mean, after all, you're king. And so all rules don't apply to kings like they do to everybody else. And so he knew that as a king, he had an obligation to set the right example for the people. But in his mind, he's a special case. All right. He's an exemption, exception to the rule right here. Eventually, you and I know as the Bible goes on and, and rolls it out to us that he even uh, had the soldier who was in his army, her husband, uh, led off into battle, put on the front lines where the thickest fighting was going on, and gave an order for them to pull back, leaving him unsupported so that he was killed, leaving David now, by the way, free to marry the man's widow. See, he's an exception to the rule. Well, God had to send him a message. And he sent a man by the name of Nathan, who was a prophet of God. And he was told to go tell David about what he'd done. And Nathan approaches him, as it was read just a moment ago, so well. And he gives him a story that there was a rich man who had lots of flocks and herds, and he was rich. And there was a poor man who had only one little sheep. And, and it was, had become a pet of the family. It was around the children. It was around the house all the time. And it belonged to him. And yet the rich man, when he had a visitor come from out of town, you know how you want to put on the dog for a visitor? He decides that he's going to put on a feast for this guest. But I'm not going to kill one of my sheep. Go and kill the one that belongs to the poor man. Prepare that for the dinner. Now, when David hears this, his reaction is like you and I. That's unbelievable that somebody would do such a thing. I mean, he had plenty of his own. Why did he go take this man's pet? Why did he do that? You know, so he's enraged right here regarding the actions of this man. And it's then when Nathan said to David, you are the man. You're the man who did it. You're the man who thought you were the exception. Is it not true that it's a pretty widespread human tendency for people to assume that their situation is kind of unique, that what's going on in their life is kind of special, and so they're exceptional right here? You know, we don't have to do what's right. Other people have to, but... You don't know my situation. You don't know the circumstances that I'm dealing with. I'm the exception right here. And almost everybody that you and I know can imagine themselves capable that, well, I can break some rules and nobody will get hurt. Because I'm the exception. My case is different. Have you ever known somebody who's been out west and saw the, maybe in Arizona where they have the petrified forests? You know, maybe you've taken a vacation out there or you know somebody that has. And so here's all these piles of petrified wood laying around and stuff. But there's signs everywhere, you know, telling everybody, 
you know, leave the wood alone. You know, leave it where it's at. And everybody is thinking, well, you know, that'd make a neat souvenir. I think I'll pick up one here. I'll pick up one over there. There are signs everywhere, but people think I'm the exception to that rule. Other people have to obey it. But if I want to take a piece of it home, I'm the exception. See, the rule applies to everyone. It's amazing how we can make an exception for ourselves and go down that road. And there's rules for everything. I mean, we could spend time giving all kinds of example. If you're a backpacker or if you're a camper and you, you, know, you go out on camping trips, you're not supposed to leave the trash and the refuge laying around when you leave. If you packed it in, you're supposed to pack it out. You know, keep the area nice for everybody to enjoy. But if you're out there and it starts to sprinkle and rain is predicted and you're in a hurry to get back home, I mean, you're the exception. See, every person is a collection of special circumstances. But the rules still hold. No exceptions. Let me show you an example how that rule applies. Let's suppose you and I know a young person that we really like, we really care about, and they've been taught rules of personal conduct in, in the youth Bible class or by parents or by others. And so they, they know the rules here. They've gotten the instructions. They know what's right. They know what's wrong. Uh, but, you know, even though this young man knows the rules, he's a unique case in his mind. And so, when, you know, if he was to make exception to the rule, I mean, nobody's going to get hurt. And so he goes out on a special date, and a special girl has said yes to that date, and they're out on this date, and all of a sudden, you know, there's some unusual pressure. There's peer pressure. Uh, there might even be pressure from the girlfriend. There's pressure that he has in his own mind. And he thinks to himself that if I break the rule this one time, Nobody's going to know, and he ends up in trouble. And everybody wonders, how can that happen? You watch almost any movie today, and chances are it's going to be concerning some sort of marital infidelity or, or fornication. And people are described in those movies as being in a, in a unique and a very special, a very unusual situation. So they're exempt to the rules. They can do what they want, when they want, and supposedly nobody gets hurt. Listen to any television newscast, and you and I start hearing about all the graft or the, uh, the influence peddling that goes on in high places, whether it be in sports, whether it be in business, whether it be in government. And every person involved in those things saw themselves as the exception 
to the generally accepted rules of integrity. That's some road to travel down, isn't it? And one sure way to get into trouble is always consider yourself the exception to the rules. Now, if that one doesn't get us into trouble, then let's look at another dead end. What if we leap before we look? What if we don't bother to think about what the results are? You know, when we're out there choosing what we're going to do and and how we're going to do it. Uh, Do you remember the occasion when a Roman soldier came to arrest Jesus in the garden? Uh, It's recorded in Matthew 26 there at the end of that chapter. And as the soldiers come to arrest Jesus and they come near, do you remember how Simon impulsively whips out his sword, cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest, and he swung without thinking? And Jesus said, Simon, put that thing up. If you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. How quickly did all that happen? You know, Simon, what's going on here? Well, he leaped before he looked. He had an impulse and he he immediately acted on it without even thinking right here. And if you want to really get yourself in trouble quick, do that. Act on every impulse that comes to you without bothering to think of the consequences. All of our ideas begin with impulses. But God has given each one of us a brain and a conscience, and that's supposed to run our impulses through that before it turns into an action. See, we weed out some of the bad impulses that way. When we plan our actions out a little bit more, when we think them through a little bit more, but then I know that there are some thoughts between our impulses and our actions are so crucial. Just stop and think for a moment. You and I as Christian men and women are supposed to stop and think, well, what would Jesus think? You know, what would God think if if I act on this impulse like this? I read a funny poem one time, T.V. Smith wrote it, that I think describes the extreme importance of delaying, you know, from our impulse to our action. And he says that there was a, a dachshund one time so long that he hadn't any notion how long it took to notify his tale of his emotion. And so it happened while his eyes were filled with woe and sadness, his little tail went wagging on because of previous gladness. Now, I know it's funny, but in a lot of cases... It doesn't take that long for us because our impulse will often find action immediately and we're not even thinking. We don't even take time to think. 
of any kind of consequences or results of it. I don't know whether you've ever been behind a car following somebody who's drinking out of a bottle. And when they're, they're drinking along and they finish whatever it is they're drinking. And all of a sudden, you know, there's, I, they're going to dispose of this empty bottle. And the easiest way to do it is just throw it out the window on the pavement. Crashing down, busting all over the place, that bottle. And it was an impulse to action that they never stopped to think about any kind of consequences for them or for anybody else. It's just out it went. We enter, to a, enter into a conversation. We're talking with somebody, and they'll say something that makes us think of a, a, a real quick comeback, a real quick, you know, quip back. And that quip might wound somebody that's around us listening in or part of the conversation, but it's such a clever thing that you thought up, and so the impulse turns into action, and we say it anyway. And then we wished we hadn't. one of the easiest ways to get us into trouble. Jesus, on one occasion, recorded in Luke 14, he told a parable about a man who built a tower without first counting the cost. And when the impulse comes to us, and we make this, this quick price estimate, how much is it going to cost if, if, I, if I act on this? What are the consequences if I act on this? Uh, you know, who pays the cost? I mean, sometimes you pay. Sometimes it's somebody you love that pays. Uh, but, you know, making sure that the impulse passes through that God-given brain that we have to think what's the result, what's going to happen. In, in short, we need to use our head more. And one sure way to find trouble is to leap before you look. Maybe these first two roads haven't been something you travel much. So I got one last chance to get a road that maybe you do. Maybe you don't think of yourself as the exception very often to the rule. And maybe you don't leap before you look. But, uh, well, how about this one? Assuming that little things don't matter very much. Oh, that was just a little thing. Oh, that was no big deal. That was just a little thing. See, we sometimes falsely assume that life's building blocks are all big blocks. And that little nails and little pegs don't matter much. When all of us were young, I promise you it happened to you as well as me, but you were sitting in an English class one day when the teacher says we're going to diagram sentences. Yeah, I see a few nods. One of your favorite times in English class, right? Well, for some of you, okay. I know I'm in a mixed crowd here. But that English teacher would have you saying, no matter how complicated the sentence is, it can be broken down and diagrammed. And so we're going to lay it out, and it gives us the flow of thought when we diagram the sentence. Have you ever thought about some of the messes in our life that we get into or others get into? That if somehow somebody would diagram them and lay them out, that no matter how complex the factors are, you can kind of see how you got there by breaking it down. And in any complex sentence, if you remember your English class days, it's a collection of little things. 
little phrases, little conjunctions, little digressions now every once in a while in our life. And you take that all together and you have the complexity of what we now live because of all the little things. Well, since I'm big on poetry tonight, I'll give you one more. Heard a preacher give this one one time. Said, who knocks so loud? A little lonely sin. Enter, I said. And all of hell was in. The little things. Let me go back to David. His life is so interesting anyway. One of these days I'm going to teach a class just on the life of David. But in the book of Samuel, there was a time when it was his desire to capture the city of Jerusalem because he wanted to make it the capital of Israel. You can find it in 2 Samuel chapter 5. But a siege of that city surrounding it seemed to be hopeless. It wasn't going to cause anything to happen. And they couldn't get inside the walls to fight because they were just unable to, to, to get in. But it was discovered in going around the city that there was a small stream coming out of the city that provided water for the city, kind of a, a water tunnel. And it was large enough that some of the men could get into the city through the tunnel. That little opening. So the men of David entered in that small shaft made for water, and they took the city. Isn't that how a lot of people's lives are weakened? Spiritually, it's not in some great confrontation with evil. You know, evil comes at us real big and we see it. You know, it's trying to over the wall, assault our life right here. We would, we would get on guard. We would fight. We would repel that. But it's those little insidious ways that evil inserts its way in my life and in your life that we have to watch out for. It's those little sins because they sometimes lead to big trouble well I told you only three didn't I one you think you're the exception to the rule oh what a road to travel two is to leap before you look another bad road to go down and three, don't bother about the little sins. You've probably seen pictures like this, or maybe in the movies, showing the Great Wall of China. It's amazing to, to read up on it because it was hundreds of miles long. It was high enough that it would rebuff any catapult or any, it was wide enough for the guards to drive their horse and chariots along the top of it. It was made so that the people of China would be secure because of this impregnable wall that guarded them against any enemy on the outside. But did you know the first year that it was built, it was breached three times? Oh, no, no, no. It was not battered down by rams. It was not catapulted, you know, rocks over it and destroyed part of the wall. No, not at all. It was breached each time 
by simply bribing the keeper of one of the gates. The weakest link in the defensive line of that nation was the personal integrity of the citizens called upon to stand guard at the gate. Jesus, our Lord, knew the importance of daily integrity. He chose to make that the central theme, by the way, of his Sermon on the Mount, which I'm really enjoying studying in the Wednesday morning class. But it was through Jesus Christ that we receive God's gift of love and forgiveness. And whether we're in trouble or out of it, we're recipients of that gift. But the world is full of inheritors of God's love and forgiveness, and yet they're wasting their inheritance or they're ignoring what God has done for them. And you know, his forgiving people of their wrong choices is available to everyone. But the choices that we make determine what kind of lives we live. Today, tomorrow, this week, this year. It's the people who we are. Wouldn't it be a wise thing to know who's guarding the gate of your life? Who's helping you make right decisions? Who's helping you do right when you know what's right? And avoiding wrong when you know what's wrong. It could be tonight in an audience this size that somebody's here who's been thinking about dedicating their life to Christ and giving it to Him because forgiveness of all your sins are in Him and the life that's well guarded is in Him. It could be tonight that you're ready to respond and take on that new life. If that's the case, we'd like to assist you if you'll make it known while we stand and sing this song.